Welcome to the Tom the Trainer Fitness Podcast. I'm your host, Tom Wooland. This podcast is for frustrated men and women who think they've tried everything to lose body fat and aren't willing to give up on their fitness goals. I'm going to give you clear, actionable steps to cut through all the bullshit in the industry, focus on what actually works, and dominate every aspect of your life. Now let's get into today's episode. Today's episode of the Tom the Trainer Fitness Podcast is a replay from a live training I did with my coaching clients about how to make the right exercise substitutions. Because really, there is no such thing as a perfect program, because all programs, as intelligent as they may or may not be written, aren't going to apply to everybody. But if you can have an intelligent thought process between making exercise substitutions and an intelligent way to categorize the exercises within a program, you should have the ability to make good decisions to make substitutions on any program. Hope you enjoy the episode. All right, cool. Okay, so what we're going to focus on today for the live training taking feedback from everybody seeing if we can come up with like just things that people want to learn about what i want to focus on today is how to make the right exercise substitutions okay and the the reason for the the reason for this training is i believe that a great workout program needs to consider a lot of factors to be like quote unquote, perfect for somebody. But the reality is, is that there's no such thing as a perfect program for everyone, right? We all have these different factors that come into place for a good program for us. And I do my best to try to accommodate all those factors for the widest range of people that I possibly can within the programs. But exercise selections can be affected by things like injuries, individual abilities, as well as like available equipment or even like equipment location within the gym on things like supersets and stuff. Does that make sense so far, everybody? Just send me a thumbs up or just set like a yes in the chat. I just want to make sure everybody's kind of like with me on that. So the real success in running a great written program is knowing how to interpret what's on paper, how to interpret what's been provided to us as individuals and applying our own abilities to it, right? So that's the difference between what, I would say that's the difference between programming and coaching. Programming is for computers and coaching is for people, right? So, and in my opinion, the difference of a good coach and a bad coach is that a good coach or the difference between a good coach and a great coach to keep better language with things is that a great coach teaches his or her clients how to make smart decisions. So it's kind of like that old adage of like, give a man to fish and he'll eat for that meal, or you can teach a man to fish and he'll be able to eat forever. Right? So my thought process with this training is like, I can give all of you as clients a good program to run, which is going to get you fit. But if I can teach you how to run a good program, right, then you can stay fit forever and you can make decisions and know how to think like me, at least in this scope, if that makes sense. (laughs) Don't always want to think like me, but on this way, for sure. (laughs) So is everybody with me so far? Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. So the objectives of the of the training is like, I feel in order to 
think like your coach in order to think like me, you need to understand how I think, right? And there's variables behind every exercise selection that I choose when writing a program. So the first thing that I do is I, I place exercises into movement categories, which we're all familiar with because we're doing those movements in our programs, but I place them into categories like squats, which is like a leg exercise that's knee dominant. There's more knee than hip movement in a squat. Deadlifts, which are hip dominant, right? Lunges which are variations of squat that are single leg, vertical pulls like chin-ups and lat pulls and horizontal pulls like rows, okay? And then we also have pressing exercises which are horizontal and vertical, right? So overhead press for horizontal, shoulder dominant pressing exercises and then like chest dominant pressing exercises. Then of course we have isolation lifts, which everybody knows running my wonderful programs. I just kind of sprinkle them in if you're lucky. Everything's all about the compounds, right? Um, and then aside from isolation lifts, we have core exercises. And core exercises are any exercise that specifically targets as a primary focus, the muscles surrounding your spine. Okay. So does that make sense so far in the way of which we categorize these movements? Do you, do you, would it be helpful for everybody to write them down if I relist them or is everybody pretty clear on those? Type in the chat or even come on, come on and, and say aloud if you like. Clear. Clear to me. Clear. Cool. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Everybody seems to be all good. Okay. So I categorize those movements. And as a quick recap, squat, deadlift, lunge, vertical, so rows, right? Pulls, presses, isolation, and core. I categorize those movements first. And then what I do is I look at the factors that dictate the difficulty of those lifts, okay? And this is where I get like all like beautiful mind, like Rayman, like the guy from um, <laughs> the guy from the uh, the hangover counting cards. Okay, <laughs> so um, I look at things on like just I just don't categorize them like that. I, I get like really deep into what's going on with the exercises. So the first thing, which is unlike what I think a lot of people do, the first thing that I look at in an exercise selection is stability levels okay then i look at like range of motion and then i look at spinal position and that's how i categorize those movements so as an example like boyd you recently asked me about something right and you asked me there was a seat it was a uh, lying t-bar row it was a lying t-bar row which had all kinds of external stability because it had a chest support the T-bar itself was on its own lever. There was all the stability in this exercise, right? So when you asked about it, instead of just going to a bent over barbell row, I was like, let's stabilize our chest and let's use a cable because that's more similar 
to the machine because of the stability levels that were provided within it. So that's why my mind went there as opposed to just grabbing a dumbbell. Okay? So, so when I look at stability levels, I'm thinking that there's in my, in my mind, there's two sources of stability. Okay. There's internal and there's external. So there's internal self-applied stability, like core bracing. And then there's external stability, which is going to be like our surroundings or the external stability provided from a machine, right? Does that make sense? So like us, for example, a lunge takes a high level of internal stability if you're just doing it with nothing around. But you can go into a doorway and use two sides of the doorway and provide an external source of stability that's external that you're that's connecting you through your limbs. But if you did a lunge in a Smith machine, there's even more stability there because of the machine, right? So does that make sense in the scope of which how I look at this like stability, there's internal stability, which is what we do internally through our core, our hips and our shoulders. And then external is like what's provided by a machine or something in our surroundings, right? So, so we can, when there's an exercise that takes a high level of stability first, internal stability, my first thought process is, my first progression to make that difficult is let's add external stability to it, right? Let's just take that lunge and do it in a Smith machine, or let's take that lunge and add external stability and then progress by slowly taking away the support. Does that all make sense to everybody so far? Because like, I know, like for me, explaining this stuff internally sound really, really clear. But like, as an example, when my, when my um, accountant tells me stuff, I'm like, I don't know what the hell you're talking about. So is everybody, <laughs> you're not all trainers, but like, is that, is this like, am I explaining it in a way where it all really kind of like sinks in clearly? Yeah. Okay. Sweet. Cause I can be wordy. So if I am somebody like slap me across the screen. Okay. So <laughs> So, so that's what I look at first is I look at external and internal stability factors within the exercise. And as a range on machines as well, machines, say, for example, if you go into a chest press machine, there's all kinds of external stability there. But like a chest press machine that is connected and it's one lever versus a chest press machine that has two levers different levels of stability all the way to a bench press with a barbell. And before that, we've got like a cable press because a cable is less stable than a machine all the way to dumbbells. Okay. And that's the scope of how I look at these things. The next thing that I look at as a factor of difficulty is our range of motion. So how far do we travel or does the weight travel 
what distance does that travel, right? So, for example, a box squat where we sit down on a bench lowers the range of motion that we travel when squatting because it stops us at about 90 degrees or higher, right? So, if a squat has a high demand of stability and we want to make an exercise substitution to it, I want to keep that stability demand as high as possible first, change range of motion second, right? I wouldn't just go from a squat right into a leg press where I can sit in there freely and just do all this stuff. To me, I don't categorize those as the same movements. So first I look at stability and then I look at my range of motion, okay? So some examples would be like a full range of motion squat versus a box squat on a bench. A bench press from the floor where my elbows stop and create more stability and lessen the range of motion versus a bench press from a bench where I can get all the way down to my chest. Um, and that's kind of like things looking at when it comes to my range of motion, right? And I limit the range of motion while keeping the extra, the, the stability factors high. That would be how I can progress. So as an example, I guess like maybe just to have some people Maybe some people can chime in because I want to make sure that I'm not going in the weeds on you here. So like say, say you, um, a Bulgarian split squat, for example, a Bulgarian split squat. It's a really, pardon my French, badass exercise. It's tough to do. Does anybody know what maybe like our next regression would be for that Bulgarian split squat? If we were to say like, that's too hard. I can't do it. I need to make it easier. Where would we go next? Anybody can either comment in the chat or hop in and say aloud. Like a lunge? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And then what if like you can't do a lunge, right? So yeah, boy, reverse lunge, he put in the chat. Perfect, right? And then if you can't do a lunge... How can I keep that stability level high while limiting range of motion? Well, maybe I can do a step up. Does that make sense to everybody? Like the way that I kind of think about that? Because we can then take the range of motion from the step up and lessen it or increase it over time. I can start here and then week two, I can be here. And week three, I can be there. Week four, I can be here. And then I can move to a lunge. Just because my program says a Bulgarian, if a Bulgarian is not right for me, this is how I would play with those exercises within the same category, looking at my stability and my range of motion. Super clear? Okay. So the next thing that I look at is my spinal position as it relates to my moving limbs, okay? 
So for example, like, Boyd, you hit the nail on the head. A really good regression from a Bulgarian split squat would be a reverse lunge. Well, in a reverse lunge, we step back pretty far and we've got a very upright spine as it relates to our moving limbs. So that's like a really good start to progress. Essentially, the more vertical your spine is as it relates to the moving limbs, the more difficult that exercise becomes. Okay. So for example, if I were to do a step, uh, like if I were to do a lunge, but I bent over and hinged to do a lunge, it's going to be less difficult than if I was really upright. If I need to do an overhead press, which like I can't even do because of my jacked up right arm. But if I were doing an overhead press and just going straight overhead, that that's a difficult exercise. And if that causes shoulder pain, because I can't stabilize there, then like, what if I got in a semi-incline and I was still pressing overhead, but, but now my angle, instead of being back here is here. I've just made that exercise easier by changing my spinal position, but I'm still targeting my front delts. I'm still targeting the same muscle. And then if you were to think of it in the spectrum of say like squats, raise of hands, who here has done a front squat so far in their program? Way too many. Yeah, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Is it safe to say that the front squat is the hardest squat of like, like the hardest squat of life? Like, you know. The FML, I have front squats in my program today. Well, our spine is very upright in a front squat, right? That's tomorrow, and I hate you tomorrow. I know. I know. You're welcome. But, man, you look great. <laughs> and you're setting PRs, right? Yeah. Right. <laughs> so now when I'm looking at when I'm looking at my spinal position, my spinal position is dictates a factor of what I consider when I make exercise changes. Right? So for example, if I'm looking <laughs> so Boyd tomorrow, I'm gonna use Boyd as an example. Why not? Boyd tomorrow he's going in and he's looking at front squats and he's like, screw Tom. Friggin' guy, I'm not doing front squats today. Not a reason to change, not a reason to change your, your exercise, okay? But say he's just like, I don't know, say, say Boyd's like, my shoulders are just absolutely smoked. I don't know what I did to them. I just can't balance the bar on my front here. Well, spinal position and stability and range of motion. Well, if I hold if I hold a dumbbell here, it makes me have a really upright spine. I can do a goblet squat instead of a front squat because on the spectrum of what Tom taught during his 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 training is like spinal position matters. So I'm not going to substitute a front squat for a back squat cuz front squat my spine's like this and a back squat my spine's like that. Does that make sense? Right? You're still doing front squats tomorrow, by the way. 
So in that spectrum of things, that's kind of where we look and we can play with all these dials to make the right exercise selections for us, okay? Now, like for me, as an example, front squats aren't something in my life and they never, ever will be again. They're just not worth it for me. So I live vicariously through Boyd and Dimitri soon of you guys doing front squats and <laughs> not me. Now, the reason is, is because like I have a cervical uh, nerve injury in my neck and like I could maybe manage front squats, but it will literally murder my neck for two days. I'll be in pain. Well, I'm not going to do it. And so I have a safety bar that puts the bar, that puts the dumb, the weight out here a little bit in front instead of a front squat. It puts the weight in the same part, but it sits on my neck. Slash, it sits exactly where my spinal injury is. So it's an awesome bar that I wasted $300 on because I can't use it, but I bought it before my injury. So now I'm looking at what's happening and I'm like, okay, well, spinal position, I'm going to go do a hack squat where I stay really upright. Right? I would have gone to goblet, but I'm a bad man who can squat 200 plus pounds in a front squat. I can't, there's no way I can do a goblet squat. So what do I do? I'm the only one who gets away with calling myself a bad man, but, <laughs> but I get, I put myself in the hack squat because the only way I can use an applicable load to challenge myself in that position is in the hack squat based on the, the boxes that I started checking when making decisions on my substitutions. Does that all kind of like make, make sense and help kind of like tie things together a little bit in the way that I look at doing it? Does the app come give us the option of matching that exercise to what you're saying if we had to substitute? Unfortunately, like it, it does sort of, but it's not as complex as how I look at it. So like a lot of this stuff is from like one of the, the prescript level one was a course that literally changed my career. Like all of them did. Prescript level one is this like advanced thinking concept behind programming. And like the app just doesn't do it the way that I think. So it'll give you substitutions, but in my opinion, it doesn't categorize them in an intelligent way. In my opinion, right? It'll just be like squat. Here's a, here's squats. It doesn't think how I think. And the other factor with that is that like the app is a beautiful thing and it does a lot of amazing things. But when you make, if you select a substitute, it erases that selection the next time you do that same workout. So herein lies training number one for group training is like, how do you think like Tom to make these substitutions so that everybody here on this call is empowered with that thought process and you don't even have to rely on the app to make your substitutions you can literally just be like okay what do i look at do 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 here's my selection right does that make sense 
Um, does anybody have any questions on that? Or have some exercises in their program that they feel they want to make subs with and want some, I don't know, reinforcement on their decision-making process. So questions, it's open for Q&A. It's like, pick my brain. I'll ask you a quick one there, Tom, with the, those uh, chest-supported rows again. Um, not having that machine that you're using <clears throat> at our gym, I went to the T-bar row, but the cable system that I have access to is only 75 pounds, so it's not enough weight. So I dropped and went to dumbbells thinking I could probably lift that same weight, but obviously dumbbells with the um, momentum changes it. So what kind of angles and is it better to go lighter weight on that to make it more effective or what's the best to do? Yeah. Yeah, that's an amazing example, right? Like I am purely a nerd when it comes to this stuff. And I'm just like, oh, this is awesome. But <laughs> anyways, so like for me, it just kind of reinforces like my thought process there, right? Or or what I've kind of been explaining is like, okay, the cables was 75 pounds. It only goes to 75 pounds, but the cable has a cam and a cable and a support system where everything runs smoothly. So when I then take away the cable and drop, grab dumbbells, 35 pounds per side is not the same as 70 pounds on the machine. So you made the, you made the absolute right, like assumption of like, do I just pull back the weight? Yes. You, you'd pull back the weight. And then now you have that new progression point, right? Cause you progressed as far as you could with the level of stability that was present on the exercise. Because the other prog progressive factor is load slash weight. You progressed as far as you could with that. So you took away some stability and went back to a lighter load. And now you have a new progression point to move forward with. Right. And that's the key to everything that we're doing in our programming is that everybody who's running it can probably see it's like, Everything is about starting point progression, right? Is everybody seeing that so far? Cool. So on that, on that thought process, and this is, it's such a gray area, right? On that, on that thought process, pardon me, my first thought would probably be to go to a barbell instead of a dumbbell, right? Because the barbell creates a higher level of stability because now my two hands are connected through this external support that is the barbell. Comma, slash, I can't get the right range of motion with the barbell because it's going to stop when it hits the machine. Oh, okay. So that's where my mind would go first. But then I went, oh, no, that doesn't apply because range of motion is a factor here, right? And Dimitri's got his son listening and his son's going to turn into a bad man lifter too, because he's listening and getting it in already. Right. Yeah. He's ready. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice. Does anybody else have any questions or like, boy, do you want, do you need any more like clarity or like have any um, thought process on any other things you want before I move on to see if anybody else wants anything? It's really just open. Like I got another 30 minutes of time for everybody if we need it.
No, that was good. That's kind of along the lines I was thinking too. So that's good. Okay. Sweet. Awesome. Uh, I'm good, but I appreciate the thinking process, understanding it. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. I wrote this out once. I wrote this out this I wrote this out once and then I like rehearsed it and I was like, Tom, you nerd. Dumb it down. <laughs> I was like half asleep and I was like writing it and I was like, this is going to be so awesome. And then I went to it the next day and I was like, Tom, you can barely understand what you're saying here. <laughs> Make it simpler. <laughs> so I appreciate that. Like, is everybody, so on that note, obviously I'm trying to bring some humor and some fun to the calls too, but like, is everybody feel as though that like, I made it like I, I made it understandable and didn't sound like I was talking Greek to everybody because I have a habit of doing that. Like in my old job, I had other trainers in the building that used to get mad at me because of the complex way I used to explain things and they would feel that it was making them feel like inferior and stuff. Right. And that's the last thing I would ever want to have happen in a group setting of the teammates. Right. So just as a, as for feedback to me, did I make it very simple and easy to understand? Yeah. Sweet. Awesome. Maybe one more today then Tom, just quickly. So we don't have a Smith machine in our gym because it's not a bad gym for Bancroft, but it's not great. So I was, I've been using the um, press machine as opposed, is it better to go to that press machine or is it better to go take away some stability and just go to a barbell bench press. Yeah. Perfect question, man. And it's, it's actually, it's awesome because when I was when I wrote that program, I didn't think Smith machine on that program. Originally, originally that program, the way it was designed before I recorded all the videos within my studio was an overhead press machine and a chest press machine but I don't have those. The closest thing I have that provides the level of stability of those two machines is setting up in the Smith in my studio. So yeah, hundred percent. We want, because the Smith provides a high level of stability, your right call is to move to the machines that provide the most stability there, your chest and your overhead press, right? Because knowing how I nerd out on how I write my programs, now that everybody knows what a nerd I am when I write my programs, I look at exercise selection as a progression. So like if you have machine-based exercises in your first four weeks of a training block, you can be certain that in the next four weeks, you're going to have a similar exercise in there and I'm going to remove stability at the gym, I'm going to put you in a barbell or I'm going to put you on a dumbbell because my progressions are stability, range of motion, right? Yada, yada, yada. So if you've got a machine in there, you can think your first thought process is the first thing Tom thinks about is stability machine to machine. Make sense? I just can't afford a shoulder press and a chest press machine yet. So they're coming like, but it, that's what should be in the program, but I didn't have it. So I went through my thought process when I wrote it and, and, and recorded. 
Now, if you ran out of weight on those machines, because you're turning into the Incredible Hulk. That's what's going like, to happen. I can see that probably by the end of this block, going to probably run out of weight on that machine. So, yeah. yeah. So, barbell. Okay. Right? Yeah. But you got to send a like, let's go emoji to me when you do it with like a flex. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Right? Sweet. Any other questions? As you all can tell, I love this stuff, right? Like you've all been on calls and stuff with me. It's like, you ever see me so like amped up about like, like I'm a nerd at heart when it comes to this stuff, right? So like, don't hesitate for questions. I love it. Seems like everybody's good. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. Um, I highly, highly, highly appreciate everybody that hopped on today. This is something new that we've incorporated into the program. It's been incorporated in the program to make the program better. Um, but change is like challenging for people. And like, there's a lot of people who would like, um, what would be the word? Like, hesitate to hopping on in an environment like this and all of you didn't you literally hopped on that first coaching call the first opportunity so i just want to express my gratitude for everybody hopping on and then i would like to make a request with that as well if i do a post in the facebook group can everybody go into the facebook group and into the app into the app and put like um that coaching call was awesome. And in the Facebook group on the post, like first coaching call in the books and everybody like writes like that coaching call was awesome. The reason I ask is if other members of the team see value in getting on these calls that they may not see now, they'll see that value from the other team members being like, that was awesome and extremely useful. And they'll be like, maybe I'll make it to the call. And that'll make them better lifters and give them higher success rates too. Does that make sense? Sweet. Okay. Love it. Love it. Okay. So last call for anything, and then I'm going to let everybody go. And it looks like we all got 20 minutes back in our life. You're lucky I didn't do the first training. I'd still be talking. <laughs> All right, sweet. Yeah, well, thanks again, everybody. I really appreciate it. Um, I'll put the Facebook post up immediately. And, and if everybody can comment that, I appreciate it a ton. And we will see everybody uh, at the next call. All right. Thank you, Tom. Thanks, there you go. Take care. Thanks. Yeah. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye, buddy. Thanks so much for listening. If you found today's episode valuable, please give me a five-star review and share it on your social media so I can have an even bigger impact. And if you want more information on how I can help you lose 15 to 52 pounds of body fat in 12 weeks, send me a message that says coaching to my Instagram at TomTheTrainerFitness.